Hello, you were tuned in to this week's episode of The Local Lens, the podcast from the Powell County Health Department in Kentucky, Rio, where we go inside our community's experience with the drug epidemic. Our show is coming to you from Stanton, Kentucky, a small town nestled at the foothills of Appalachia. And on this week's episode, we are going to be going into the police department of Mount Sterling, which is a neighboring town of ours. It is a slightly bigger town, but it's not drastically bigger. And it's the home of several of our recent episodes here. So we wanted to get in and see what the policing was like there. They have some different approaches than what Powell County offers, but they're seeing some good results. Now, they may be getting good results for all kinds of reasons. One of the big things is they do have a good bit of industry in Montgomery County, but that doesn't discount the efforts that they're making in uh, their recovery community at all. They've been making leaps and strides in their recovery community. So this episode is going to be focused on the tactical side of policing. We're going to be looking at how it works. We're going to be taking a deep look at how it actually works and see some of the systems and some of their approaches. But anyways, let's go on and get into this episode. This is The Local Lens. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do. All right, my name is Jimmy Daniels. I'm a lieutenant at the, the Mount Sterling Police Department here. Uh, this May will make 18 years in law enforcement. Uh, 18 years. 18 years. There you go. So I'm, I'm actually counting, so I've got a little over two years and I can retire. You know, so okay. that's, that's a pretty good position that I'm in right now, so pretty awesome. Yeah, you don't look to be a old person at but all. But I feel it on the inside. I really yeah. do. Oh, um, man. Yeah. So what made you start in law enforcement? Well, my uh, all my family's from Harlan County. Okay. And growing up, you know, you get in high school, and most everybody else was coal miners. Mm-hmm. Dad was a coal miner. Grandfather was killed in coal mines. And Dad was like, you can do it when you get out. It's actually, that's what everybody in high school done when, you know, my how that I am. Everybody got out and went to the coal mines. And kind of pushed me away from it. Um, but went to the, was sitting in the recruiter's office a hundred times. They don't want to go into the military. What I want to do, end up moving to Richmond. Um, went to Eastern EKU, got into the, the public justice safety program there. Then, and kind of flourished in wanting to be a police officer. Yeah. And got a bachelor's degree in uh, police administration and started searching out, you know, jobs and programs to, to be a police officer. And that's how I made it to Mount Sterling. Yeah. So you've been here yeah. for your whole career. I have. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's um, law enforcement. One of those jobs. It's totally different. Then when you actually get it and put the uniform on and, and you go to work every day, it's kind of totally different than what you were expecting. At least it was for me anyway. So, What were you expecting? Um, kind of crime 24-7 and, you know, and uh, pursuits and, you know, and, and, and fights. And, and a walk in the building today yeah, and Chief Landrum is topping yeah, the Christmas tree. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Mount Sterling's always been kind of weird in the crime area. It's like, you know, it's kind of zero to 100. We've had bank robberies. We've had had uh, homicides. I mean, just here recently, there's a, a homicide case one getting ready to go to trial. Well, mm-hmm. it was going to trial, and I think they had a plea bargain on it. But, I mean, it's um, been involved in the narcotics program before I got promoted. I got promoted in 2019, and I was in a, a really fast-paced, uh, street-level narcotic program for the police department. And probably being involved in... Hundreds of, you know, undercover drug buys, mm. uh, state and when I say street level. It's you know, generally speaking, the gram levels. And how much are you able to talk about some of the undercover stuff with us? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And everything's pretty open, you know. Um, um, 
I was, I was talking about I was involved in a really fast-paced, street-level narcotic program, and what that means is you're really kind of going after the, the people that sell on the gram levels, you know, up to the quarter ounces. Mm-hmm. And you go out, and sometimes you need court authorization. To, you have to have um, really informants, especially in a small town. I have done undercover work before, but when you're in a small town, you know, it's really easy to be recognized, right? Yeah. So we employ court authorized sometimes, and then uh, people that want to come down, and, and we put them to work, and it's informants. You know, they, yeah. they know the people in the community that's, that's selling the drugs, and and uh, and one way to do that is with, you know, the use of informants, and it's really kind of vital to, to that job. So, you know, you um, can say that we've got some pretty high-tech equipment, you know, mm. um, really small cameras we can hide just about anywhere. Um, I don't know if it's the the CSI Miami age, you know, <laughs> when you yeah. get in a courtroom, you know, people – before they're going, you know, convict you. Okay, that's a pretty serious offense, right? They want to see it on camera nowadays. They want to see that hand to hand, the dope going, you know, to one person and the money going to the other. And, yeah, because the stakes yeah. are high. If there's a mistake yeah. on that, then like, I mean, what is a, what is a term and what's a sentence for that? Well, the class D felony is what the lower, the sort of the lower level penalty would be for a trafficking, say, uh, lower tabs or something like that. It's a one to five prison sentence. Yeah. Then, you know, if it's a little more uh, the quantity of the pills that they're selling, you know, getting up to selling large amounts in the pound ranges, you know, you can't get up to, especially if you have a, a PFO attached, you know, somebody that's been in trouble a lot. It's a persistent felony offender. That could be looking at 20 years. So yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a long time. Yeah. Stakes, like you said, stakes are high. So. so when you're doing undercover work, about how long do you stay undercover? Never been involved in anything long term. Okay. You know, uh, mostly what I've done, I've kind of, um, I've embedded myself with informants, mm. you know, and uh, I'll ride with the informant to the scene. You know, the dealer might hop out, get in the vehicle with us. You might walk in, you you actually, you know, handle the money and handle mm. the talking yourself, but, you know, the informant kind of do the introduction. I mean, I've never been involved with anything anything long term, you know, yeah. sort of like a week op or something and end up going to get the buys and you know, then kind of end it that way. So, but I have had experience doing that. Yeah. We've posed, we've posed as drug dealers. Um, we, that we would pose that, that we were the supply mm. and you'd have people come. I've had people come out of state wanting to buy drugs from the police, you know, so it's, yeah. they want to buy it. And then in their conversations, they tell what that, how they're going to distribute it. And that gives us reason to think that these drugs that they're buying, they're going to be distributed. So we can arrest them on the spot for trafficking. So, and done that several times. So, mm-hmm. so it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, you know, getting the people in the vehicle with you, you know, that you've never met, you know, that they're drug dealers because you already know who they are, right? You've pulled their criminal history, and and ninety percent of the people that we've dealt with, they've all had pretty, you know, pretty stringent criminal histories. You know, like, you know, uh, this, you're just not surprised that they're in that type of life. You know, so. So you're coming from Harlan County. So, first question: Have you watched the show uh, Justified? Justified? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not not a whole lot of stuff is made about Harlan. I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah good yeah. show. And then the other, uh, the Brad Paisley's version of "You'll Never Leave yeah. Harlan Alive." Like, I was on a yeah. track meet going down there, and our bus got lost on the way back. It was it's about a beautiful midnight. place. It really yeah, is. It really it is. Yeah, love it up there. It's not a whole lot of industry, though. You know, like yeah. I said you can people yeah. work at the hospital. You know, they. Uh, maybe you can get a job as a police officer there, or they worked in the coal mines. You know, yeah. So, 
you know, the coal mine's kind of out of the picture. I think there's maybe one or two operating in the area, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, that's kind of kind of a dying industry in Harlan. So yeah. What what was the drug scene like in Harlan? Oxycontin. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hired in 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Hired in 2004. um, Took a lateral kind of promotion here in 2007. That's when I started the street level Mm -hmm. enforcement. And it was all Oxycontin. You know, the 80s, they were selling for 100 bucks a piece. That's Mm -hmm. what everybody, you know, you didn't, I didn't see heroin at the time. We, you know, we saw a little bit of crack cocaine, a little bit of cocaine, but it was all about the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then I guess that's about the time Purdue started having, Purdue Pharma started having their problems. And then it all kind of switched to the to the Florida pain clinics. Because mm-hmm. the only thing Oxycontin is, you know, it's a brand name of Oxycodone. And their, their claim to fame, I guess, was uh, it was a time release. And what people would do, they just stuck it in their mouth and licked the coating off. And then it's just Oxycodone. Mm-hmm. Then for years, I mean, probably about at least a five-year time frame, it was the Florida pill mills. People, they, it was all cash business. They get a carload of people, drive to Fort Lauderdale, drive to Hollywood, and there's four or five other uh, places, you know, that people commonly went here. And they bring back 180 30s, 90 15 milligrams, and 90 Xanax bars for each person. Mm-hmm. And we were just inundated with the Perk 30s. It was a huge problem. Then, you know, once the, everybody gets caught up to what the problem is, then, you know, the, the federal government, the DEA starts getting involved. Then slowly that stops, starts shutting down and starts to really have an impact with the doctors. They're prosecuting doctors regularly. Mm-hmm. And then after the supply was limited, and then that's when we started seeing heroin because people obviously still have the opiate addiction problems, right? Mm-hmm. The, the government's really putting pressure on the pharmacies and the doctors and the pill mills, so that's so that problem was slowly being shut down. But the addiction was still there, and the, the money that could be made from that addiction was still there. So we started seeing the influx in heroin. Then you start seeing the influx of fake 30s. They look just like a prescription 30, but it's pure fentanyl. You know? Then that's kind of where we are now. Then really, really cheap crystal meth. Mm. As we, I guess, about a two-year time frame, we were experiencing, you know, um, they were finding meth labs on the side of the road that were still smoking, you know, are still active. The generator is still active. Uh, so the um, police department, the sheriff's office, formed a meth lab team to assist the state police in cleaning up. Then that was about a two-year ordeal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you know the difference. You know the difference in, like, shake and bake meth and, like, crystal meth? I do not yeah. personally know. So you get the, the shake and bake meth. It kind of looks like a dirty white cocaine. That's mm. what it produces yeah. because of the skill level and the relatively easy way to do it, I guess. But the Mexican dope, the crystal, I mean, it's the cartel dope, I should say, coming from Mexico. They, um, you see crystal methamphetamine, it's coming from Mexico. Mm. 95% chance, I would say, because yeah. that's those that's lab produced. It's lab quality crystal methamphetamine. 90, 90% pure. So that's the difference. So when that comes from Mexico and it, it's coming from a lab, is that just like looser regulations in Mexico? You know, or? Breaking Bad? Yeah, just that. It's yeah. just like that. Yeah. So You're telling me that Breaking Bad is pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, incredible. It really is. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's lab, a lab, a chemist, yeah. you know, producing pounds of, of crystal meth. You yeah. know, just that's, that's how it works, man. Yeah. You know, uh, and especially having... Um, 
you know, it all depends supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. See the cartels, it's such a it's a billion dollar industry, right? They have the money, they have the know how, and they have what's more important, the will to get across the border, right? So if we have if it's easier to get across the border, then there's gonna be this the demand's gonna be not as much because there's gonna be a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. Then the price is gonna go down. So you're gonna have really uh, really dangerous, pure forms of these drugs that's cheap now. Mm-hmm. So and it's you know just the snowball just keeps rolling. That, that's what it seems like. Like yeah. you, you walk down a, a chain uh, over two decades, where if you, I'm thinking of like a water balloon. If you press on one side of the water balloon, the other side expands and just yep. swells up over there, and it just keeps moving around. And when we can. In law enforcement, you see the effects. You see the effects of having that many people from that long of having a, a really strong opioid like oxycodone that easily available, right? And then you get that many people addicted, and then when the supply goes away, like I said, then they're trying to find something else, which heroin is an opiate, right? Mm-hmm. So then we one of the problems that we had, especially when I was working the, the street-level dope, is you have... You have the dealers here, or the users, and they had contacts in Dayton. Then they have contacts in Cincinnati. It's two places we've historically had a very big problem out of because they go to the city and they buy three, four ounces of what they believe is heroin for a cheap price, bring it down here to a town like Mount Sterling where there's a big demand for it, and they cut it up, and, they, and they're tripling or quadrupling their money, mm-hmm. put a cut on it. But now in the last three years, right, had an influx of overdoses from opiates and it's that illicit produced heroin that's they're probably getting it not that strong anyway so another dealer is is cutting it with the illicit fentanyl trying to make it a little bit stronger right mm-hmm. and these this is not a lab and how they mix it up they'll throw it in a bag and just mix it up with their fingers and that's and they're considering that good yeah. so that's where the overdoses come from a lot of it yeah. is people buying what they think is pure form heroin then it's cut with fentanyl or acetyl fentanyl or uh, and you hear people say too that yeah. they're looking for for fentanyl like mm-hmm. when people want a little bit of that at yeah. least but it's just you don't know what you're getting yeah no, you have no clue and we are no strangers to fentanyl in our area so all of this overdosing has led to this drug called naloxone being pushed out and We call it Narcan a lot of times. That is a drug that stops an overdose, an opioid overdose, in its tracks. I remember when they first um, uh, released the naloxone, you know, it Mm -hmm. reverses the the Mm -hmm. opiate overdose. And, I mean, probably everybody in this building that works here has at least administered Narcan to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and it's it's an amazing drug. I mean, I don't know who come up with it, but it's saved a lot of lives. Between us and the sheriff's office and the, and the paramedics, I mean, it's been used hundreds of times mm-hmm. these last couple of years. So it really has. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, on like a regular basis. So, so one um, one argument against Narcan that you hear a lot is that, like, insulin costs money to people. Narcan is given out for free a lot of times. Somebody's paying for Narcan somewhere else. But we're getting to distribute it here for free. Right. What's your response to hearing that? Well, you know, we've had a lot of people that we've Narcan several times, you know, but, I mean, I've seen it save people's lives. You know, you hope they, uh, when they do get their lives saved, you hope that they can find help somewhere. 
you know, but it's important. I've seen it work so many times, and that's that's a, somebody's family that it is saving. So I don't know where the money comes from, but they need to keep keep doing what they're doing with it. You know, and just hope those people can actually um, have a change, you know, somewhere in their life anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. So, yeah. yeah but. Like, you seem to be, like, informed enough that led to compassion. Like, is there, like, do you have any, like, personal, uh, like, personal connections to addiction? I have no personal connections, but, you know, when you, you know, I've been in it almost 18 years now. You know, like, for instance, our chief, he, he retired from Memphis at 37 years as a deputy chief, and he's come back and still doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, most of us don't definitely don't do it for the money, you know, but um, you really get a sense that, you know, you're helping your community. I mean, I, I just, I think that's the reason why we all get into it, you know. So, but... Um, but nothing personal, no. Mm-hmm. So I mean, everybody, everybody's family's got their problems, you know. But it just, forcefully, it's not, you know, touched any of us that way in my family. Yeah. So it's been a good thing. So good. A lot yeah. of high school friends. Uh, I see their mugshots pop up sometimes, and um, see their obituary. You know, so anybody gets old enough, they're going to see that. You know, so yeah. I hate, hate to see that for their family, but it, it has friends, you know, but not just close family. So yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, Montgomery County has slightly better statistics when it comes to overdose statistics and averages and rates of overdose. And there's an endless number of possibilities of why that could be. But we're going to talk a little bit about Montgomery's whole approach to handling this crisis now. Well, you can't really tackle it like one way. You know, I mean, this has got to be like a multi-prone and what I've seen anyway in, in my time working with it. It's got to be multifaceted, you know. You can't say it's always it's only going to be education. Then you say it's it's only going to be mental health services and rehabs, or it's only going to be law enforcement and putting people in jail. Some people don't belong in jail; they need help, you know. Um, then you can't always you can't force somebody to be educated, so they have to want to do it themselves, right? And I don't think you can really you can force somebody into rehab, but if they don't want to do it, it's not going to be effective, right? So I think the communities that really put those multifaceted tools in effect, I just I, there's no way that it's not going to have a better outcome mm-hmm. if you try to tackle it multiple ways and besides just one specifically. So mm-hmm. we've seen that in the short time that we've been yeah. like looking into Montgomery County, it seems like there are several sides of it, and a lot of people that just accept that something is happening here and yeah. accepted the responsibility to address it. Right. So I then too. you. You guys are addressing it. Um, the syringe exchange doesn't happen here. No. Nope. Um, how come? Well, I think essentially it's up to the, to the local leaders if they um, want to put that program in effect. If it's if it's written into their laws and their ordinances, we'll you know we'll comply with it and do mm-hmm. what the law says. You know, but um, I just I'm, I'm not really sure. You know. I could personally see it might have an impact in a place like Skid Row or something like that where it's so prevalent. You know, I just, uh, I mean, I don't know what the what a long-term effect that, that it would have. I mean, I really don't. Mm. And I'm not really seeing any of the studies of that, that it, you know, that it helps in a smaller community. So, I mean, I really don't know. And this is something that we are actually pursuing right now. The same grant that is paying for this show to exist is also conducting this research 
in Powell County. I mean, if it's something in the long term that, that they can, somebody can bring the numbers and lay it on the table with the local community leaders and say, mm-hmm. we can prove that it has a positive effect, then why not? But, yeah. you know, I just, I, I just, I just don't know. I can't see it having that major effect in the smaller communities. Just the way I feel. Honestly, a lot of people share this exact same sentiment. And if you've listened to much of this show at all, then you know that we are supporters of the syringe exchange. But I personally have a foundational belief that people always have a lot to learn. So in keeping in line with that, I can see that the syringe exchange might not be the best way to reach people. Now, I will say as well, over the past decade or so, we have seen how syringe exchange programs can be very effective. They helped curb an HIV outbreak in southern Indiana a few years ago. And in Powell County, we're seeing it help a lot of people get into treatment. But credit where credit's due, Montgomery County has also found several ways to be effective in helping people turn their lives around. What would you suggest? Like a t- Counseling services. Yep. Um, you know, rehab, rehabilitation. I mean, is this a, it's a must. You know, education. You know, have people talk about it truthfully. You know, yeah. That's what you know. We talked about before. You know, you just can't really focus on that one, that one thing because that one thing just does not work. Because I mean, you remember we're dealing with people. You know, mm. and some people will fight you about anything. Then, you know, then some people want to be done with it, and maybe they just need that little bit of push. I mean, I don't know. It's got to be a tough thing. But, uh, I mean, I really don't think the one thing works. Mm. You know, and I know just, you know, just locking people up, you know, that doesn't work, obviously. So, mm. but, but that you still have to have the enforcement, you know. So, yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't, then it's chaos, you know. So, that may be one of the biggest lessons you can get from hearing this show is that you have to be approaching addiction from all kinds of different angles and perspectives because it does affect a lot of our community. It affects a lot of people's lives in a lot of different ways. So if you're going to get past it, you have to approach it from several different angles in several different ways. You mentioned this earlier a little bit, police department's role, like not everybody belongs in jail, but you have to have the enforcement. Um, What do you see your role in like to one specific person who's in addiction, what do you see your role to them? Um, you know, we always offer, you know, to uh, trust steer them in, in the right direction. Uh, I mentioned earlier about working with them, confidential informants, right? Uh, we've had several that, um, you know, we've worked, we always work with the, the prosecutor's office to make sure everything's legal, you know. Then um, sometimes it may be for charges or something like that for trouble they got into, right? And uh, we have offered, and a lot of the, the the agents from a couple, you know, different agencies that we worked with, we've got several people in rehab, you know, and they wanted to do it, and we and we helped them with that, and they come out and and uh, still in communication with you know a couple people we worked with, twelve, ten or twelve years ago, I still talk to, they're doing good. So I, I think that's a huge win, right? Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. You know, if you have more of that, you know, and uh, some, you know, some, you know, you, it's not always a happy ending, you know. But but the ones that want to help, we have absolutely helped them in the past. So. 
Well, that is the end of our episode this time around. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of The Local Lens. We had a lot of really good information on this. Policing in this area would be a really tough task because of the prevalence of drugs makes that one of the biggest things that you have to deal with. And it's really good to know that they're using pretty sound tactics, it seems like. They're going for the people that are selling a lot. And uh, it seems like they know, they have a good understanding of what their role in the whole process of it is. It seems to be a very hard job, and I am very glad that I'm not the one that has to do it. So thank you to all of our policemen and women in this area. Uh, You guys are doing great work. Uh, Keep it up. Appreciate it. And thank you to Lieutenant Jimmy Daniels for coming on our show and sharing your experiences with us. Um, It really helps add to this collective knowledge we're trying to build about this. I would also like to thank WSKV for broadcasting our show and also a big thanks to the Powell County Health Department and Kentucky Rio for funding the show. This is The Local Lens. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do. And here we've got an extra little shout-out clip to actually close this episode out. I'm new uh, Chief Lace for, for several years. So. Yeah, let's give, yeah. A, like, give a good shout-out to Chief, yeah. La- Chief yeah, Lacey. We'll see Chief Lacey, if you're listening to us, I just want to say what's up. So, <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Well, that's a fine place to cut it off at, I believe. Yeah, cool. All right, thank you. Yeah.